Thank you, Tyler. We'll take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we are continuing our study in the life of David. You ever seen those uh, practical jokes? Maybe it's been done to you. Maybe you've seen it done to someone else where uh, someone is about to sit down, you know, and somebody comes along, they, they don't know it, but they've taken the chair from behind them and, you know, they... You know, why is that funny? We must be very cruel people, right? You know, we don't want them to get hurt, but just the idea of somebody taking that chair and and you sit down or you think you're going to sit down, you think something is there to support you. It was there earlier. Maybe you sat down there earlier. You assume it's still there. And you find out, to your surprise and possibly some degree of pain, that it's not there anymore. Or maybe you've been leaning. You know, I I, I have a bad habit of, of leaning. You know, like to lean on something, and, and you've been leaning on something, and, and maybe uh, that thing is not as sturdy as you think, and it breaks, and, and uh, you fall. And so we all, in a physical sense, know what it's like to depend upon something to hold us up, to help support us, whether it's a chair, whether it's something we're leaning on, but not only in the physical world, but in our emotions and in our spirit, we often have things that we lean upon. We have, maybe it is a person. Maybe it's our spouse or our children or our parents. And we lean upon them. We get our strength from them. And and then maybe one day they're not there. And all of a sudden we don't have that support, that emotional support, that spiritual support that we've always depended upon. And we fall emotionally and spiritually. Or for some people, maybe it's a position you hold. And that position gives you something to live for. It's it's where you get your identity. Or maybe for some, it's the amount of money in your bank account, your finances. You feel secure as long as you know you've got that money that you can fall back on. and, and, And you lean upon that. But just imagine for a moment, whatever it is that you get your security from this morning, just imagine that it is not there any longer. Do you take a fall? And we're going to see that David had to learn that lesson. And we're going to look through this morning, and I've titled the message, Learning to Lean. David had some things in his life that he had begun to depend upon, and slowly, one by one, all of those things were taken from David, and David was left without any support And he had to learn to get his support from somewhere else. So let's examine that this morning. And first of all, let's look in the life of David some of the the things that he leaned upon for support. Look first of all in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And if you've been with us in our study, just to remind you where we are. You know, David, of course, was a shepherd. And he came to national prominence when he was called upon or he went to feed his brothers in the army. And Goliath was there and... And uh, David heard Goliath challenging God and challenging the army of the Lord in Israel. And David says, I'll fight the giant. No one else would. And you know the story. David went out and he slew the giant with just a sling and a stone. And Saul had looked to David and he says, I want you to come and I want you to be a part of my palace. And I'm going to give you a position. So David now is a favorite of King Saul. And let's notice what happens there in in chapter 18, verse number 5. The first thing that happens is, as I mentioned a moment ago, David has a new position. 
it says in verse 5, So David went out whenever Saul sent him, wherever Saul sent him, and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of all the servants. And then if you look in verse 13, it says, And Saul made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Now we know also David already had a position as the chief musician. Saul had a problem and the Bible says a distressing spirit would come upon Saul from time to time and he would be greatly troubled. But music soothed his soul. And David was a skilled musician. So David was the chief musician for the king. But also Saul had made David a chief captain in his army. So we see that David has a wonderful position. He is the, a chief captain in Saul's army, and he is also the chief musician. So David could look at himself and say, I'm not a shepherd anymore. I'm an important person. I have a position in the king's palace. But not only that, not only did David have a, had a, have a position that he could lean upon, but he also had great popularity. Now, there are some folks that have positions, but they're not very popular. But David had both. He had an important position, but he also was very popular. Look there in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I just read it a moment ago. You might not have noticed it, but it says that all the people, he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's service. It means that they liked David. And then if you look in chapter 18, verse 7, it says, The women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So David's even more popular than the king. And they're singing songs about David. And then in verse 16, the Bible says, But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So David had a new position. And David was very popular everywhere he went, you know, to, to, to bring it to our modern way of thinking. Somebody wanted David's autograph. Everybody was wanting to take a picture with, with David. David was the new sensation. David was popular. Everybody loved David. David had a position. He was popular. But what is the position and what is popularity? And we preached on this last Sunday. If you don't have some close friends to share it with. But David had that. David had people in his life that he could lean upon. And who were those people? Well, you know what is... Fame and fortune without a beautiful woman to share it with, right? Don't say anything. That's okay. You don't have to say amen. Well, that was David. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, remember it hasn't been long that David has been a shepherd just out there by himself, by all his lonesome, as we might say, tending to the sheep. But what happens in verse number 18 of chapter 18, that, or verse number 20, I should say, it says there, Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And there begins a love story. And who is it but none other than the princess in the kingdom. The daughter of King Saul loved David. She fell in love with David. And, and there's a story. We don't have time to go into it. But, but Saul finds out about it. And Saul, by that time, has become jealous of David. And he decides, uh-huh. I'm going to use my daughter to get to David. And so he claims that he will give his daughter to whoever goes out and kills 
a bunch of Philistines. And he's hoping that maybe David will get killed trying to do that. Well, he does. He goes out and kills a bunch of Philistines and comes back and, and shows the proof to Saul. And what does Saul do? He has to give Michael, his daughter, to David. So David has a woman, the princess of the kingdom, who loves David. And then we already talked about Jonathan, but just to remind you in chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, Michael's brother, of course, the son of King Saul, the prince of the kingdom, the heir, the next king, according to the line of secession, was Jonathan. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, that when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, no one ever had a truer friend than Jonathan was to David. We examined that last Sunday, how Jonathan loved and he gave and he defended and he accepted and he encouraged David. So David has a position. He's got popularity. He has people he can lean upon. He has a beautiful new wife, the daughter of the king. He has Jonathan, his best friend, who is the son of the king. But he also has someone else. He has a prophet. Remember Samuel? The man of God, the prophet, Samuel was a person he could lean upon in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 18. We already know that Samuel had anointed David in secret, that he was going to be the next king. But in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and, and verse number 18, we find there that David's in trouble. And the Bible says that David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. So when David was chased by Saul and he had to abandon his wife, he could no longer see his wife, he could no longer be around Jonathan, his friend, he could go to Samuel. And he went to Samuel, the prophet of God, the man of God, and David found comfort in Samuel. So he's got Three people that he depends upon, Michael and Jonathan and Samuel. He's got his position, he's got his popularity. But something else, and we touched on this last week as well, or perhaps the week before last. Have you ever done something and you really were proud of the job you did? I mean, you really felt like you did something. You know, they say one of the, uh, one of the great cures for a person that's really down and, and depressed is, is to do something. You know, to, to accomplish something and... And uh, if you can do something, just the idea of a job well done. You know, when you get through doing something, how many of you have just kind of... I like that. That looks good. You know, you get through mowing the grass. You think you've done a good job. Your wife hadn't seen it yet, so, you, you know, you, she hadn't told you where you missed. That area you didn't get good. But uh, you, you look at it and you say, boy, that looks good. And look, I just, I just want to admire my work. It's just something within us. When we finish, whatever it might be. You know, we finish something and we feel like, we feel good about what we did. We just want to sit back and say, boy, that just, that, I'm, I'm proud of myself. You know, I, I'm proud of myself. I, I, that makes me feel good. And David had that, that good pride. You know, there's a bad pride, but there's a good pride. A pride in, in, in feeling a sense of accomplishment that I have done something I am proud of 
and I've done it to the best of my ability, and I've done it well. And, and it gives me a sense of satisfaction. Well, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14 and 15, we see that David had that, and we, we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago, where it says that David behaved wisely. David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul, Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. David had a good kind of pride. David could look at the way he behaved himself with Goliath and the way he behaved himself with King Saul, and he could say, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing here. I, I'm proud of how I'm behaving myself. So when we think about David, David could sit back and lean on something. He could sit down and, and rest. And, and what was it that would hold him up? His position that he had attained. He could feel good about that. His popularity, everybody loved David. He could look and say, boy, I, everybody loves me. They're hugging my neck. They're shaking my hand. The people, his wife, his best friend, and the man of God, Samuel, wonderful people that he could look to to encourage him. And lastly, within himself, he felt, he felt good about himself. I'm doing the right thing. And all these things David had that he could lean upon. But what about if you lose those things that you're leaning upon? All these things are wonderful things that I just mentioned, but we're going to see in the life of David, one by one, all of these things were taken from David. First of all, his position. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. The Bible says there, 1 Samuel 19, verses 8 through 10, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. That is the beginning. Now Saul had already tried to kill David one time, but things got patched up and he kind of got his position back. But now, here in chapter 19, this is the beginning of David's life as a fugitive. You know, there's an old television show, I think it's back from the 70s. I think it was called The Fugitive, wasn't it? You remember that? I remember the one I really, I, this must have been the late 60s because I was little. You remember the, the show Branded? Anybody remember that old western? You know, here's what I remember about the old show Branded. And uh, I remember, you know, that he was a cavalry officer. And I always remember it began every show and he would be stand at attention and his, his commanding officer would take his sword, you know, take the guy's sword out of his and he broke his sword. You know, he tore his patches off of his, his little lieutenant patches off and he was Branded. He had been falsely accused of some crime, stripped of his rank, his sword, you know, broken, symbolizing the loss of his position as an officer. And, and here this guy was, he was on the run, on the run because he was falsely accused of something. Well, that was David. David, in essence, had his sword broken and his position before the king was removed. And, and David was no longer had a favored position. He was an outlaw. He was wanted by the king. He lost that position. Well, what about his popularity? Well, surely he didn't lose that. Well, look over in 1 Samuel 22 and verse number 1 and 2. David, of course, is on the run now from King Saul. He no longer has a position. 
The Bible says, David therefore, de- therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Now David has gone from all the women singing songs about him as he came back from victory. And all he has is 400 rejects. Basically is what that says. Anybody that didn't fit in, anybody that owed a bunch of money, anybody that was having problems, anybody that was just mad at the world, all the people that didn't fit in, they came flocking to David. He was an outlaw. And he had 400 men the dregs of society that surrounded him in that cave. So here's David. He's lost all the masses of people, all the people that once loved him. Saul claims he's a traitor. Saul's telling everybody that this David is a traitor. He's no good. And Saul has branded him an outlaw. So all the loyal people of the kingdom say, well, hey, we don't want anything to do with David. He's no good. And David has lost his popularity. Well, my goodness, he had his wife, right? And he had Jonathan, and he had Samuel. Well, what about his wife, Michael? Well, if you go back over to chapter 19, and we don't have time to read it, but I'll just kind of give you a little bit of a a recap there. Saul's trying to kill David. He wants to kill him, and, and Michael finds out about it, his wife. And she warns David, and, and David has to flee. He has to flee the palace, and it's kind of a neat... The story, she puts some things in the bed to make it look like David's in the bed, and she tells the king's messenger, oh, he doesn't feel good, he's sick, he can't come out right now. And eventually they just barge on in anyway, and there they go to the bed, and, and they find he's not there. There's nothing but those pillows that she makes it look like someone's laying there. And, of course, Saul gets angry, but what is he going to do to his daughter? He's not going to kill his daughter, so he gets angry, but there's a separation there between David and Michael. He is no longer to have the comfort of his wife, and it's a long way yet, and we don't want to get into it too far, but remember, on in the story of David, uh, Michael and David kind of have a separation. They don't officially divorce, but she gets very jealous when David has scored a great victory against the Philistines. They've rescued the Ark of the Covenant, and David, the Bible says, dances before the Lord, and and it kind of embarrasses Michael, and, and, and she doesn't like that. And, and uh, she says something to David about it, and, and they basically have a parting of the ways. And the Bible says that they were never husband and wife again. They didn't officially divorce, but they, just, they never were together again after that. So he loses his princess, Michael, and he's not able to have that relationship with her anymore. Well, what about Jonathan, his friend over in chapter 20? Verses 41 to 42, I read this last week, the last time that they meet. The Bible says that then David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times and they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. So Jonathan and David, that's the last time they ever meet. And David is weeping and Jonathan is weeping. And the Bible says David wept more. He was very emotional and he wept sorely when he departed from Jonathan. 
And we know over uh, in chapter 31, we see that Jonathan eventually dies in battle alongside Saul, his father. So he no longer has the relationship with his wife, Michael. He no longer has the relationship with his best friend, Jonathan. Well, what about the man of God, Samuel? Well, if you look in chapter 25 and verse 1, you find there that the Bible says, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So Michael is gone. They're separated. Jonathan, his best friend, he is separated from him. And the man of God, Samuel, has died. The one that David would always go to for advice. He would go to when he didn't know what else to do. He said, well, I'll go to Samuel. He'll know what to do. He couldn't go to Samuel anymore. He couldn't sit down and say, Samuel, what should I do? What does the Lord say? What is the message from God? Samuel was gone. All of the people that David had leaned upon, those people that he trusted in, they're not there. His position that he leaned upon, it's not there. His popularity that he leaned upon, it's not there. What about his pride? I mean, surely that's still there. They can't take that away. You know, they can't take away his sense of accomplishment. Well, look in chapter 21 and verse 10. David, of course, is on the run here in all of these chapters away from Saul, and he's having to go wherever he can, and he goes in to the land of the Philistines of all places. In chapter 21 and, and verse number 10, it says, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And by the way, the thousands they were talking about were the people of Gath, the Philistines. The, the people whose land he was in. And they're telling the king, hey, this is our enemy. He's the one they say has slain thousands of our people. Then David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Now, in the ancient world for uh, hygiene, the most insult you could give to a man, almost all men had beards in that time, was to spit in his beard. That was considered the, the greatest offense. And for a person to have saliva in his beard was to be, it, it was just considered the most uh, terrible of indignities to have that. And so David is allowing that to happen then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I, have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David now, this man that had all the pride in behaving himself wisely at the beginning, here he is having to pretend to be mad, to let the saliva drip down on his beard, to... To, to do things that only a madman would do. And it, it's kind of humorous to me, the king of Gath. I could just, you know, can't you identify with him? Don't you feel like sometimes you're just dealing with a bunch of crazy folks? And, and uh, he says, have I need of madmen? Do I need another crazy person that you bring this guy to me? I got enough crazy people around me now. I don't need another crazy man. You know, just get this guy out of here. He, he's just crazy. 
And so David, though, has lost his pride. He's had to pretend to be a madman. He no longer has any pride. What is he going to lean upon? Well, David's lost everything. You know, in 1 Samuel, where we're at now, we see the events that happened to David. But there's another book that has a lot to do with David in the Bible. And I bet you know what it is. It's the book of Psalms. In 1 Samuel, we see the facts. We see the hands of David. What David is doing. What is being done to him. But in the book of Psalms, we see not the hands of David, but the heart of David. What was he thinking? What was going through his mind when all of this was happening? And believe it or not, if you go over to Psalms chapter 34, and many of you will have a little introduction before Psalms 34 begins. And uh, it says, The Psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So, we know what David did. He's lost his position that he leaned upon. He's lost his popularity that he leaned upon. He's lost the three people that he leaned upon. His wife, his best friend, and the man of God, Samuel. And he's lost his pride. He's letting his spit fall down into his beard. He's not bathing. He's acting like a crazy person in front of everybody. What was going on in his mind? He's at the end of his rope. He has nothing left, nothing to lean upon, no place to sit and rest. Psalms 34 gives us the story of how David learned to lean. He learned to lean, not on his position, not on his popularity, not on people, and not even on his own pride of accomplishment, but he learned to lean on God. And notice in Psalm 34, what did, what did he lean upon? First of all, if we notice the first two verses, or actually the first three verses, I think we see that he learned to lean on the Lord's praise. Notice what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not just in the good times. Not just when I've got a position and I've got popularity and I've got people and I've got my pride but I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I thought as we go through a couple of verses here in Psalm 34, remember the Psalms were generally sung. They were put to music. And all we have are the lyrics. We don't have the music that, that they went with. And, and like a song, they generally would, would have a rhyme to them, and as most lyrics do. But we don't know what the, what the song was, what the melody was. We just have the words. And I thought about some of the songs that we sing that we do have the melody to. We do have the, uh, the, the, not just the words, but we've got the way they go. And, and I thought about a song that we sometimes sing that, sing that talks about leaning on the Lord's praise. Some of you are familiar with it. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears and the faith that you've been standing in just seems to disappear, praise the Lord. 
He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. David, having lost everything he was leaning upon, he begins to lean here in Psalm 34. Remember, he he wrote this psalm when he was pretending to be mad before King Abimelech. And there we find that he has a desire to praise the Lord. Well, notice also in uh, verse 4, I sought the Lord and He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked at Him and were radiant. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. He leaned upon the Lord's praise. He said, I will praise the Lord at all times. And he leaned upon the Lord's protection. Isaiah 54. Verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. Now God's protection doesn't mean that you're never going to have any problems. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have any difficulty. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. But I believe that God's protection means, as the song we sang a moment ago, that we are have victory in Jesus. Remember the Apostle Paul said, he listed a whole bunch of bad things. We are slaughtered, we're, we're slain. All these bad things are happening. He says, but we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We didn't actually sing this song when I was growing up very much. I really didn't learn the words to this song until I was a grown man, basically. But I've grown to really fall in love with the lyrics to this old... You talk about old hymn. This is a really old hymn. This is about 500 years old. A mighty fortress is our God. And I think it is a wonderful hymn, the words that talk about God's protection. A place where you can go and be safe no matter what we face. Even death itself. A place where we can go and and be safe with our Lord. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. <clears throat> Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten To undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours. Through Him who with us sided. Let goods and kindred go. 
This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. A mighty fortress is our God. David found strength to lean upon God's sovereignty and God's protection. That God is able. He is a mighty fortress. And then notice in verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. And though, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. He leaned upon the Lord's provision. The Lord's praise, the Lord's protection, and here the provision of the Lord. And I thought about an old song that we used to sing. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love Him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and He's the one I'm living for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. The provision of the Lord. Well, look in verse 11. He also leaned upon the promises of the Lord. He says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. He recounts the promises of God. He's standing on the promises of God. You remember that one, right? Standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages. Let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Well, he also leaned on God's presence. Look in verse 18. The Lord is near to those. And I'm, I'm, as I read this, I think about David. Thinking about the position he lost. Thinking about all the popularity he lost. Thinking about most of all the people he lost. Michael and Jonathan and Samuel. Thinking about the pride that he lost. He can no longer be proud of himself. He's, my goodness, pretending to be a madman. What, what pride is there in that? And he writes these verses. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. The Lord's presence. You know, I love this song. My grandfather's favorite song. I've seen the lightning flashing and I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on for He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. The world's fierce winds are blowing and temptations are sharp and keen. 
But I have a peace in knowing my Savior stands between. He stands to shield me from danger when earthly friends are gone. For He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He died for me on the mountain. For me, they pierced His side. For me, He opened that fountain, the crimson cleansing tide. For me, He waiteth in glory, seated upon His throne. And He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. David had lost the people he loved, but he had the presence of the Lord. He leaned upon the presence of the Lord. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Well, the lastly, if you look there in verse 19, one more thing that David leaned upon. He said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. That's the Lord's preservation. That the Lord is going to preserve his people. And I think about another old song, really from my childhood. We don't sing it as much anymore but some of you will remember it, talking about God preserving His people through difficult times. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways that God will lead us to that blessed promised land, but He'll guide us with His eye and we'll follow till we die. We will understand it better by and by. David lost all that he leaned upon, his position, his popularity, the people, And the pride that he had. But he found something new. I tell you, he found something better. He found that he could lean upon the Lord. He could praise God. Lean upon the praise of God. He could lean upon the promises of God. He could lean upon the presence of God. He could lean upon God's promise to persevere and to keep him safe until he drew him to himself. I'm going to ask Tyler if he would to come. And and we're going to do a song this morning. I don't think it's in your book. You may know the words and we may or may not have those words. But some of you have heard this song before. It's called Learning to Lean. Learning to Lean. And all of us, if we are Christians, our life is really a process of learning to lean. Sometimes we we lean on, on this world. We lean on other people. And it takes us a while to find out that the things in this world are temporary. And nothing lasts forever. And one by one, often our props are removed and the things that we have leaned upon are no longer there. But there's one who will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same now as He ever was and He'll always be the same until He calls you home. And that's the Lord. And the message today is friends are wonderful and, and, and you know prosperity is wonderful. Whatever it is that God has blessed you with, that's wonderful. But don't lean on those things. Don't trust in those things. Trust in God. Lean upon Him. Learn to put your faith and trust solely in Him. As we sing this song, Learning to Lean, if you're here this morning, you want to come pray or you'd like for me to pray with you, you just obey the Lord as we sing.